right. Hello and welcome to Just Animals Podcast. I'm Elle and with There's me as always echo. is my... Thank you. Okay. We're already starting. Um, <laughs> God damn it. All right. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Logan. Uh, with me as always is my dad, aka Guy. Hello, pod world. It's nice to be back. And Sam, the zookeeper, is almost done with school. We can't wait for her to be done and come back to the show. But in the meantime, we have Logan from... Oh my god! I just heard from Mountain from the Mountain Lion Foundation uh, joining us today, and we're super stoked to have him. Why don't you give us a little background on who you are and the foundation and what you do? Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm excited to chat about Mountain Lions. Um, so my name is Logan Christian. I am the Region Two Conservation Advocate for Mountain Lion Foundation. Um, so I see all of the oversee all of the foundation's work in several states, including Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Texas, and Colorado. Um, and I'm currently based in in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, but yeah, just a little bit about me. I've been in wildlife conservation, kind of starting back in my undergrad, which I did at Utah State. Um, worked in kind of wildlife connectivity corridors and crossings um, after undergrad. And then I uh, decided to go back and get some more education, uh, finished up a master's at University of Michigan a couple of years ago, right in the middle of the pandemic is when I graduated. Um, so oh, good for you. looking for jobs after that and uh, came across Mountain Lion Foundation. They're a, a group that's actually been around for 35 years um, and they are based in California, worked to um, actually end sport hunting of mountain lions in California. Um, but a lot of what they do and what we do today is, is mostly educating the public about mountain lions and advocating for their conservation and protection so that they can survive and, and flourish in the wild. Uh, so we'll chat more about that, I'm sure, as we go. But um, Absolutely. it's a great species, and I'm excited to talk about it. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. So, yes, yeah, so let's get right into it. What is their scientific name? Yeah, so mountain lions are uh, Puma concolor. Uh, or concolor, it's kind of pronounced differently depending on, on who's saying it. But basically, sure. concolor means of uniform color. Okay. Um, so mountain lions are a tawny brown color, um, sort of a grayish, uh, tannish brown. And they're that color across their entire body. So, you know, whatever creative scientists decided to name them said, you know, we're going to call them of uniform color. Um, and then the, there is one small exception to that. Kittens, uh, so the young mountain lions, uh, which are known as kittens or cubs, have spots for the first bit of their life. So they are spotted usually at least for six months, and then the spots slowly start to fade as they get older. Um, and then they oh, wow. become like like their adults and subadults and look tawny brown. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, so um, what's like, I know it's probably hard to gauge this, but like average size of your mountain lion cougar. Oh yeah. And let's talk about it. Yeah. Give us all the names for mountain lions that are out there. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the fun facts about mountain lions. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about their geographic range, but because mountain lions are so ubiquitous across um, the Western hemisphere, they are everywhere from Canada all the way down to Chile. Um, wow. A lot of different groups of people and cultures have given them lots of different names because they've found them in, in lots of different areas. Um, so some of the names, the, the common ones kind of in the western U.S. where, where I live are mountain lion and cougar. Um, they're also referred to as panthers, pumas, painters, catamounts, ghost cats, uh, deer tigers, 
mountain what? screamers, which we'll talk about why the mountain screamer. Oh, that kind of makes sense, mountain screamer. Yeah, so that's an interesting <laughs> one. We'll have to talk about why that's actually a little bit of a misnomer, uh, but I'll oh, save okay. that one for, for later. Um, sure. Yeah, that's kind of why they have so many names is because they're found in so many different places. So people have given them different names. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, they have the Florida Panthers, uh, that hockey team. And, you know, then you see them like, that's a mountain lion. I'm like, that's not, you know, what we think of Panthers, you know, think like Black Panther. But I'm like, no, that's the Florida Panther. I'm like, that's a mountain lion. But OK, sure. Exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so what's their average um, size, like length, weight? Yeah. So they, so they are, like a lot of species, they exhibit a sexual dimorphism. So the, sure. the males are, um, you know, sexual dimorphism can apply to a lot of things, but for mountain lions, it's the size. So males are a lot bigger than the females. Um, males okay. can range anywhere when they're full grown from about 115 pounds to 200 to 220 pounds, somewhere in there. Um, and then females are much smaller. So it, it full grown, they're anywhere from 65 to 140 pounds. Um, so they have quite a bit of, of difference in that way. And then um, they tend to be anywhere from six to eight feet in length. And that's from nose all the way to the, the end of their tail. Uh, okay. So their body is, their main body is a bit shorter than that. But they have these very long, thick tails, um, big furry tails. And so that's right. their full length. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Okay. And then what's their average lifespan in the wild versus captivity? Obviously, you know, captivity, usually animals live longer. Uh, they're not really having to go fight every day for their survival, but yeah, what's their average lifespan? Yeah. So that's definitely the case with mountain lions. Um, in the wild, they tend to live anywhere from eight to 13 years. And, oh, okay. and then of course in captivity, um, they've been documented as old as 18, 19, 20, usually somewhere in there. Um, oh, it's like a house cat. Yeah, yep, very similar. In fact, that's one of many similarities they share with house cats. We'll, ch we'll chat about that, I'm sure. Too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, all our cat lovers are going to love this episode. So, yeah, so let's get into it. Their geographic range. I mean, where in the world can you find these? Are they just like a Western Hemisphere kind of thing? or And, you know, on average, how far do they travel? Or what's their, how large is their territory or range? Yeah, so great questions. And, and especially for mountain lions, because that's kind of the, like, like I just mentioned, that's what makes them really unique. Um, in the Western Hemisphere, they're actually the longest ranging terrestrial mammal, um, other than human beings. They are right. the longest ranging. So um, their geographic range has changed over their sort of total history. You know, they've been around for 200 to 300,000 years, if not much longer. Um, so it's shifted as the climate has shifted. Um, today, it goes all the way from kind of British Columbia down to uh, the very tip of, of South America and Chile. And so that's the longitudinal range. Now, the, the um, east to west range has shrunk considerably, especially in the continental United States. Um, so they used to be there. found all the way as far east as, as the, um, you know, the eastern states. But mm -hmm. as soon as is kind of colonization, European colonization uh, started, they were extirpated from the east, um, mostly due to bounty hunting. Um, mountain lions were originally kind of considered this evil, demonic cat species that, you know, was out to kill people and kill our livestock and our pets. And so some of this myth kind of contributed to them being extirpated. Um, and so basically since, oh, the early 1800s, they've been absent from the eastern United States, with one exception, the 
awesome Florida Panther, which you just mentioned earlier. Um, Florida Panther, they are actually the same species as mountain lion. Um, they are genetically isolated, um, but they are the same species. And in fact, um, we have supplemented their breeding population with mountain lions from Texas um, in the last 10 or 20 years. So they are the same species, but that's about as far east as they go. And that's a very endangered subpopulation. Um, they're listed sure. as an endangered subpopulation. And now the main range really just extends as far east as about Colorado, Nebraska, um, that sort of area. So mountain lions will occasionally disperse back east. And um, interestingly, one of the largest documented movements of any animal, a terrestrial animal, was a mountain lion that left South Dakota and was found about 1,800 miles to the east in uh, Pennsylvania and, and I think actually ended in Connecticut. Um, and so they do disperse. That is part of their kind of life history is when they grow up and they're about 12 to 18 months old, they set out to find their own territory. And if they don't find what they're looking for or there's other mountain lions occupying territory, they will just continue to move and move and move until they find what they're looking for. So that's what happened with that mountain lion. Um, wow. All right. So let me ask you a question here because uh, I was just uh, – Googling away here, oh, and I'm looking for a melanistic puma. Oh, uh, and it says uh, there are no authenticated cases of truly melanistic pumas. Black pumas have been reported in Kentucky, one of which had a paler belly. There have also been reports of glossy black plum pumas from Kansas and eastern Nebraska. These are known as the North American black panther. Yeah, so that is whatever that, that is. is. Technically a myth, um, and we that, that's actually one of the interesting distinctions. So mountain lions, um, you know, there I don't know for sure if there have been confirmed um, changes in color, like some some mutations, because a lot of a lot of species we know mountain lions, um, at least a few of them down in Brazil have been white, so they you know they have exhibited albinism. Um, but the black panther is, is definitely a distinct species, right? They live in a different part of the world. And to my knowledge, there's no, no confirmed mountain lions of that species specifically that are melanistic. Um, and so you okay. do hear that sometimes, is the black panther like a melanistic puma? Um, and the answer is no, as far as I know. Uh, so that, that is an interesting thing. We hear that a lot. Are, there, are these black panthers the same thing, but just melanistic? And as far as I know, it's, it's not the case. Is it possible that it's a black jaguar instead? Because, I mean, there were jaguars in like at least the southern United States at one point until we, you know, hunted them to extinction in mostly the continental U.S. Is it possible that that's what is out there? Yeah, that's, that could be it. It's also totally possible that um, it is a, an actual black panther that's been captured or raised in captivity and escaped. Um, so that, oh, yeah, that's that could be it too. Yeah. Um, we do have yep. a lot of wild animal. Um, trade in the United States that's ongoing, especially with big cats. Uh, Mountain yes. Lion Foundation actually is supporting a, a, an act to kind of end the, the keeping of mountain lions and other big cats in, Excellent. in captivity, other than, of course, zoos in some cases. Right. But, yeah. So right. Um, uh, in all the names of the mountain lion and panther and cougar, it's not a bobcat, right? right. Are you kidding me? 
Yeah. Have well, you seen a bobcat? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have you seen? You've seen a bobcat? They look nothing alike. That's okay, because it's. There's a lot of different cat species in, in the United States. So yeah. The, okay, come on though. They look nothing alike. One is one is a little bit larger than a house cat and one is, you know, bigger than a dog. Come on. Right. So mountain lions are the largest cat in North America. Um, you have occasionally a jaguar will make its way into the lower 48, um, but that's pretty rare. They are mostly in Mexico. And then your next biggest cats that might be in, in kind of the continental U.S. would be the Canada lynx and bobcat. And uh, Canada lynx are probably the next step down from outline. Bobcats are considerably smaller, but uh, like you mentioned, now they are they're bigger than a house cat. Um, and of course, they've got that short little bobbed tail, which is the the main right. The lack of a tail usually it kind of gives it away. Yeah. <laughs> so Logan, does does Bunny ha- do you hear an echo when Bunny speaks? Or? Um, I'm not hearing an echo. You're I not. I think we're okay. good. Yeah. Maybe it's mine. Okay. Wait, so, no, 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 no. time out, time out. So obviously they've got, they're very adaptive. I mean, if you have them theoretically all across the continental, you know, North America, essentially, and South America, they can survive anywhere from mountains and snow, desert to, you know, humid Florida, where it's summer 10 months out of the year. So is that, um, are they, have they always just been that highly adaptable or... Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. That is part of why they're able to occupy this huge geographic range. And like you said, everything from super arid environments to, you know, there's there's a, a population of mountain lions on the Olympic Peninsula, which is basically a rainforest, um, right. everything in between that. And that is um, in large part because they are such a resilient and adaptive animal. So I think the best example of that is what they eat. Um, so mountain lions will eat all sorts of different prey. They are an obligate carnivore, which means they have to eat meat. Um, but it totally depends on, on what is around. So the things they're kind of balancing when they're deciding what to eat is, you know, biggest reward for the least amount of risk. And for a cat of their size, they can take down pretty large prey. Um, so they've been documented taking things down as big as bison or feral horses even. Um, but then of course, you know, most of the time they don't want to mess with prey quite that big. And so they usually in in like the Western United States focus mostly on deer. Um, so mule deer, um, of course there's other species of deer like white-tailed deer and, and coos deer in Arizona. So there's lots of different, um, potential prey, but they are very adaptable. So then you, you see evidence of mountain lions have eaten armadillo, raccoon, beaver, um, different kinds of birds. I was actually just at the mountain lion workshop today with Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, and somebody was talking about their research in New Mexico, where mountain lions were actually eating carp out of the Rio Grande River. Um, what? Nice. So Good they they are very adaptable. They will they will take advantage of whatever prey sources are around within sort of those calculations of trying to get the biggest bang for your buck. No pun intended, but they do generally that calculation goes to deer because they're kind of that optimal size without causing too much danger and risk for taking the animal. So Logan, are there any states that issue tags for mountain lions or are they just off limits? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really interesting question because it's it varies a lot. So there's basically every state that does have an established population um, considers mountain lions a game animal and therefore uh, manages them as you would manage any other hunted species where they estimate the population, they determine what percent of that population can be harvested is what they call it. 
um, and then they will issue tags to to um, allow that many mountain lions to be hunted. Now there's a couple exceptions. So California, on one end of the spectrum, they uh, outlawed sport hunting of mountain lions um, in, I believe, 1995, and Mountain Lion Foundation was pretty heavily involved in that. Um, Thank and, God. And so you can still you can still kill mountain lions if you get a depredation permit. So if they mm -hmm. you know eat your livestock, right. um, then you can, which is pretty rare, but they do still issue permits to kill those mountain lions. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Texas, which has an established population, um, but they consider mountain lions a varmint, not a game animal. They are basically having the same protection as like squirrels and rabbits. So you can indiscriminately kill mountain lions um, as long as you possess a hunting license in Texas. Uh, so wow, that's weird. I mean, I know Texas is Texas. having a problem with feral pigs. I didn't think they were having a problem with mountain lions. They're not. Yeah, they're not. They're they're, not. It's, just, it's, it's a trophy thing. It's look at me, I got a mountain lion. There's definitely, yeah. So there's definitely, you know, political factors in that. There's, there's sort of, um, you know, what states sort of, deem as, as being important animals to monitor versus animals that they don't really care for or want around. And in Texas, it's not a great situation for mountain lions. Well, it's listen, I don't have a farm with a lot either. of sheep or anything like that, but they are sure beautiful animals. And, and it's just amazing that we have those animals here in North America. I mean, you know, you think of a lion or mountain lion, something in be in Africa or someplace in the jungle or something like that. But uh, they weren't, wasn't there mountain lion? Well, they're certainly in the East Bay. The people are getting freaked out on the mountain lions all the oh, time. Every and, year they're like, there's a mountain, there's some mountain lion scare. Yeah. So, like in San Jose and all those, you know, uh, yeah, residential urban areas. places there, uh, you know, right. urban the now. Good. Yeah. They're urban mountain lions. So it kind of <laughs> sounds like, um, they're basically, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way. They're basically like giant cockroaches. I mean, they can survive just about anything and anywhere and eat. Any, as long as there's a food source, they can survive, it seems like. Yes. So the, the one thing I should throw in as a caveat, though, and, and this kind of goes back to your, your question about geographic range and territory, the, the size of their territory very much depends on the availability of prey. So okay. while mountain lions can live in the desert, um, there might be one mountain lion every 400 square miles in, in a desert. And then right. places that have a lot of prey... Um, their territory size decreases because they have to wander less far to find their prey. So their territories can range anywhere from about 20 square miles all the way up to 400 square miles. Usually more in the 200 range is the upper limit, right. but they've been documented yeah. having territories that big. So, so in your no research, kidding. what do you think? Um, uh, are do they? Do you think they prefer the cold over the warm, or doesn't matter? They just want a good food supply. Yeah, so there's a couple other considerations. Mostly it is prey availability, but they are they're a stalk and ambush predator. And so unlike wolves that hunt in packs or, you know, bears that sort of just take advantage of whatever food sources around and, and can scavenge and occasionally do some some hunting, mountain lions very much are focused on being a solitary hunter that sneaks up on their prey and ambushes it. And so what that means is they also like places that have cover to kind of hide under. So that means, you know, trees, shrubs, that sort of thing. And sloped terrain is actually another factor too. So um, that makes it easier to sort of stalk an ambush if you have, you know, kind of rougher terrain with things to hide behind and, and things to kind of duck under so that you can sneak up on your prey. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, so so, so like a jungle type or forested area would probably work for ideal. them. Uh, open plains may not may be a little harder to, you know, subside. Exactly, and and that's that's probably why our our friend who dispersed to Connecticut kind of had to keep on going. Of course, there's there's you know plenty of trees and shrubs once you start getting far enough into the Midwest, but a lot of that area that it went through was very open, and that probably yeah, and flat. Hard. Yeah, exactly. Super flat. Yeah. Oh, yikes. Yeah. I mean that that's nuts. Was this an? I'm assuming this was a younger. Uh, cougar then yes exactly so those okay. those young ones maybe this could be a fun kind of take word way for today the when a mountain lion has left its mother and is dispersing it's known as a transient um, and so a transient is usually you know around 18 months 12 to 18 months and and they're pretty young and and they set off to try to go find their own territory and that's also that's the time when mountain lions are most likely to come into conflict with people because they are inexperienced with the territory they're wandering into. They're not very good at hunting yet. And so right. they may occasionally prey on livestock or pets, um, even though that is very rare. And we'll talk about that. That's usually happening with the younger mountain lions because they're just trying to make their way in the world and not really sure how to do that yet and haven't learned that you need to avoid people. Right. So unlike tigers and lions of the African species where they're tigers in africa but okay okay uh tigers (laughs) and lions they kind of hang out in family packs and and pods i don't know i think tigers are pretty solitary actually but anyways yeah so are they solitary pack animals the females hunt together don't they hunt together on the female no i don't think so this is the mountain lion episode anyways i understand that i was just trying to compare big cat big cat that's i i no, it's a, it is a good question because there there is a lot of variation between feline species and mountain lions. They are solitary, but with the mothers and their young, that's kind of the exception, right? When they are, so a mother actually spends about 75% of her life um, having and raising kittens. And so that during that time period, the kittens are very social. They play with each other. The mom is, is you know, hunting a lot and then coming back to a den to, to, you know, feed her kittens. Um, and, you know, she has to eat way more to produce enough milk to do that. And so, yeah, during that, that time period, um, when mothers are raising kittens, which is a huge portion of their life, um, they, they are in some ways a sort of a social animal, but they don't really hunt in packs at all. So they, even during that young time period, um, mom might go off and hunt on her own or the kittens might even, you know, after a while, start hunting smaller prey on their own, um, but they don't really hunt in packs whatsoever, unlike you know wolves and some of these other predators. So I don't know if I've ever seen a mountain lion in a zoo uh, environment. Have you? We saw one in Florida last year. What are you talking about? It was in Florida. It was sleeping. Yeah, I- I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Louis. Where, yes. Wait, where where we? Uncle where... Lee took us to that garden thing, you know, with the birds, and it had a Florida panther, and the thing was sleeping in a tube, you know. Okay, I okay. I, I don't know how to make you remember this. Anyways, I, yeah. moving on. Yes, you have seen them in a zoo, and then the Lindsay Wildlife Museum had one. I didn't see that one. Yeah, you but, did. Um, so, are you familiar with Missouri uh, pet oh, food okay. or Here Missouri animal food, uh, uh, Logan? Um, not much. I think Elle mentioned a little bit about it when we were. Yeah. Talking. So I'm just wondering about you know. The, uh, yes, they live longer in captivity because they don't have to be hunt. They're not hunted, and and they don't have to worry about you know, calling Grubhub to get, bring some food in. But, uh, <laughs> uh, 
I'm always concerned about the diet in a captive environment versus the not captive environment. You know, the, they eat the things that sustain them. And, uh, there's, I'm sure nutritional aspects, uh, in a captive diet that they don't have, uh, the missing from a, uh, not captive environment. Um, are you familiar with the, the, the mountain lion health in captivity? Not really. I'm not, um, you know, we've, we've definitely interacted with a fair number of wildlife rehab centers because, you know, when kittens are orphaned, um, which sometimes occurs as a result of hunting, um, or just naturally, um, a lot of times younger mountain lions that are orphaned will, you know, if they're found or if they end up coming into conflict with people, um, they will put younger mountain lions in captivity. And I'm not really sure what they, how they kind of manage their diet and, and feeding. Uh, but it is usually those younger ones because once a mountain lion has established itself um, in its natural environment, you know, it, it's pretty hard to then rate, have one of those mountain lions in captivity. Um, you can you can kind of mold it more easily and, and at least give it – actually, I think the big take-home point is a young mountain lion, um, you know, once it's in captivity or once it's been captured, it's missing out on a big important period time of its life when it learns how to hunt. And so you really mm-hmm. can't release it back into the wild after that. So I know that doesn't fully answer your question, but um, no, I understand what you're saying though. Yeah. So on the, if are, are, generally speaking, mountain lions with respect to humans, will they shy away or attack only if cornered or That's... what's, what's, uh, how does that go? Yeah, um, so that is that's a really important topic. Um, so I'm glad you asked that. We know that mountain lion attacks and even encounters with people are incredibly rare. So in the last 120 years, there has been just over 20 lethal attacks from mountain lions. And when you look at that risk of being attacked compared to other risks, um, it pretty quickly makes it clear how low of a risk that is. So you have a much greater chance of dying by bee sting. Um, cows kill way more people per year than mountain lions. Deer, especially, um, because we're always running into them with our cars, kill way more, about 200 people per year. Um, your fridge falling over on you um, actually has a greater chance of killing you than a mountain lion attack, um, being struck by lightning. So it's rare. Now, rare doesn't mean we shouldn't take steps to prevent encounters and attacks from happening right and so there's there's a lot that we can do to to prevent those things from happening um but the other thing i want to hit on real quick too is mountain lions taking livestock or pets is actually really rare um as well so the percent of livestock that get killed by predators all predators including mountain lions um so it's four percent of of deaths that occur in livestock happen from predators taking uh, taking their life. And of that, it's about less than 1% for mountain lions specifically. Um, so they really don't want to interact with people and they don't really want to interact with their non-native prey sources either. Um, right. What we talked about earlier is that sort of, sort of the situations that make it more likely for that to happen is if it's a young dispersing mountain lion um, or if we haven't taken steps to be coexisting peacefully with our native predators. Um, so in the case of livestock ownership, that means um, keeping your livestock safe, at, especially at times when mountain lions are more active, which is dusk and dawn um, and after dark. They're, they're actually called crep- 
crepuscular, which just means they're most active at dusk and right. dawn. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's a big one. And the way you can do that is keeping them fully enclosed. Um, if you are running a smaller operation, um, that could be having a livestock guardian dog, which we've done whole webinars on. Um, oh, wow. Kind of what that's all about and what that takes. And and then, of course, if you have a larger scale operation, it might be having a range rider out on the landscape with your livestock. Um, it could still be a livestock guardian dog. Um, it could be, you know, using strategic fencing and rotational grazing in such a way that you're not allowing, um, you're, you're deterring mountain lions or kind of changing that calculus for them when they're saying, is that a prey source or is that something I should avoid? Um, so there's a lot of things we can do to prevent depredation. And we could get into all sorts of other things you can do to pre prevent, you know, encounters with people too. Um, so right. maybe we can chat about that at some point as well. But it, is anyone breeding them that have uh, mountain lions in captivity, or they that's not a good thing to do? Definitely not a good thing to do. Um, but they, I, I don't think that they do any captive breeding, um, as far as I know. But mostly because they're not. You know, they usually reserve that for species that kind of need that supplement to their population. They're super endangered, um, which we'll chat about. But mountain lions are, are not necessarily in that category. Okay. So then speaking of that, um, it, it seems also seems like throughout history they were also demonized. You know, like the wolf has been demonized so horrifically in this country that we, you know, we're very good at killing things in this country <laughs> and um, either making them go extinct or bringing them to the brink of extinction. Um, so it seems like the same thing. The mountain lion was also demonized in this country. So that being said, let's get into their behavior. You already said that they're crepuscular and they're solitary. What's their average day-to-day -day like? Yeah, so most of what they're doing um, is actually resting. Uh, during the day, right. the day itself, they, you know, they have these huge territories, but they, and they do spend a lot of time wandering through the territory in search of prey. Um, but they also spend a lot of time just hanging out and resting, um, getting ready for, for hunting and, and especially for mountain lions that live in, you know, areas with, that are really arid or hot. They don't want to be moving a ton during the day. So they do spend a fair bit of time resting. Um, in terms of what they do when they're hunting, they definitely return to places where they know they're likely to get food. So there's, you sure. know, there's very good evidence of them, you know, identifying sort of a area within their territory that going to have a lot of success in returning um, and interestingly when they're moving through their territory there's some evidence that they kind of zigzag so it's just the movement oh. pattern that they've sort of used to to you know cover the most amount of ground and and then of course once they finally have come across prey um, their behavior it very much goes into that same kind of body language that you see in a house cat when you know it's ready to pounce on your foot um, so they, they get that hunch stance, they will, you know, sort of stalk and, and sneak up on things. And once it's time to attack, mountain lions can, uh, they can leap like 20, over 20 feet in one bound. So they are incredibly okay. athletic, um, you know, can jump very, very long distances and do very short bursts of speed. So, um, really an incredible animal. And, and the fact that an animal of their size, even though they can get pretty big, can take down something like a moose or a bison or a feral horse is is pretty incredible um so even though we don't want people to be afraid of mountain lions because you do have such a low chance of, of being attacked especially if you're taking these these steps that we're going to talk about 
um, it is pretty remarkable that they are such an effective predator and, and it really speaks to kind of their behavior and how they go about hunting. Um, so according to this thing here, it says they can run at 40 to 50 miles an hour. That's pretty damn fast. Yeah. You're not going to yeah, outrun so a mountain lion. <laughs> yeah. In short bursts, they are, they are amazingly quick. Um, and they don't, you know, they're not an endurance runner like most predators other, other than, you know, wolves obviously have kind of that pack hunting style. But mountain yeah. lions is all about quick. But uh, that's like a cheetah. A cheetah has the same uh, burst. I don't think the cheetah getting... is made for endurance, but they have fast uh, sort of short-term So speed. what's their exactly. sleeping situation then? Will they go back to the same, like, do they have a den? Will they go back to the same den at the end of the night or beginning of the morning? Or do they have various dens throughout their territory? Yeah, so that's an important question because the den for mountain lions really just refers to the place that mother establishes to raise her young. Um, and so they, during, you know, a normal adult's life or even the mom, when she doesn't have kittens, they usually have multiple locations where they hang out and it doesn't necessarily have to be the covered den. It could just be okay. an area that's out of the storm or, you know, has basic cover, but a den specifically is just used for what's called the denning period. And that's the first six weeks of life for mountain lion kittens. Um, then mothers will make sure that their kittens are in um, a den, which can be a cave or, you know, something that they even kind of help make a little bit by scraping things mm -hmm. together. But it's it's a very secluded area. And that's why or the reason why they do that is because kittens are very vulnerable to predators during that time. Um, so wolves actually are one of the biggest limiting factors on mountain lion populations in areas that have wolves. Um, because they can easily prey on kittens uh, during that sure. period. Uh, so obviously the dad is not hanging around. It's uh, one and done and see ya. Wham, bam. Right. Thank and you, ma'am. It's especially that way because they will, over the course of that denning period, uh, move the denning location to just make sure that predators aren't going to be aware of where it is. Oh, that's so smart. That's actually really smart. They kind of continuously smart. change where they're keeping their kittens. Yeah, that's smart. Wow. So then what are they, when they do encounter, a rare occasion when it's not mating season, when they do encounter each other, will there be, you know, like mountain lion fight club or will they just ignore each other or how does that usually go down? Yeah. So they, they do mostly, you know, stay away from each other, but um, obviously they have to mate and uh, the way that they kind of identify the boundaries of each other's territory is through something called a scrape. Um, so basically mm -hmm. they push pine needles and kind of, you know, duff and leaves together and then they urinate on it or defecate on it. And <laughs> basically what that does is it says, this is my territory. And that can either be used for saying, stay the heck away. Or that right. can be seen as, oh, this is a female mountain lion who lives here. And I now have a mate that I've identified. Um, so that's kind sure. of that nonverbal communication. In terms mm -hmm. of um, verbal communication, they mountain lions will caterwaul is what it's called. And it's not a scream. So when we hear screams in the woods, and, and a lot of people have like their video or their story of hearing a scream and everyone assumes, oh, it's a mountain lion. Mountain lions actually do not make that vocalization. So it's usually a fox or a barn owl that makes what people are saying is a scream that they hear in the woods. Oh, okay. Mountain lions do more of a caterwaul, which I wish I could mimic. I, I really, I, I promise it's not even that I'm embarrassed. I just cannot make this noise, but um, I would encourage people to look it up. Um, and it, it basically sounds like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like a loud meow 
like a cat. Um, yeah. And they can also do little chirps and chitters, which is sort of interesting. So they'll make these kind of, you know, clicky vocalizations. Um, so that's kind of how they will communicate, at least in family units. Um, okay. And then one other fun fact, too, about kind of their vocalizations is cougars are the largest feline that purrs. Um, so hmm. she does also purr. Um, but if you get any, any bigger than that, like, like, um, uh, lion, like the African lion or tigers, they roar, right? So mountain lions are the largest feline that, that purrs. And then in terms of fighting, fighting does occur. It's, it's pretty rare and it usually just occurs between males, um, mm-hmm. over territory. Um, but it, it does, it does happen. And mountain lion, male, male mountain lions tend to not overlap in their territory. Um, mm-hmm. So they will see a scrape and they'll say, oop, I'm not going over there. That's for somebody else. And if they do, that's when there could be a fight. Um, but then you contrast that with male and female. Uh, the, the male territory does tend to overlap with several female territories because they're trying to identify lots of mates and they are polyamorous. Um, so they'll have multiple mates during their life. Okay. So, yeah, so then when is mating season for them or is it just kind of whenever? So it, it definitely depends on where you are because they have this huge geographic range there's so much different terrain and weather and things that are at play that it kind of depends on where you are um generally the birthing period for mountain lions occurs starting in late spring and can go through the summer or into late fall and because female mountain lions have about a three-month gestation period it's sometime before then that they are mating so um, can happen can happen early, early, early in the year in the spring, um, and kind of into beginning of summer they'll they'll start mating. And then, how many cubs will they have? Yeah, uh, so litter size is anywhere from two to four litters, and then mom can have a another uh, litter every you know eighteen months to twenty four months, um, oh, five right. to six litters in her life, and so that's kind of why she spends you know upwards of seventy five percent of her life with kittens. Um, is because they they do have um, you know a litter more than once, but yeah, it's usually anywhere between two and four kittens in a litter. Oh, okay. And then I must do all of them survive usually, or is it kind of the strongest? Only the strong survive. Yeah, just just depends. Um, with kittens, the the interesting thing is that kitten orphaning definitely can occur um, as a result of hunting, and so that's a, a big thing in hunting management, um, or at least responsible states are working hard to make sure that um, hunting is managed in a way to reduce that and prevent that from happening. Um, So the way you can do that is not killing or not letting hunters kill mountain lions at times when they're likely to have kittens. Um, And some states are are working on that, or you can just outright limit the hunting of female mountain lions um, and adult female mountain lions, especially. Um, so kitten orphaning does does happen, and if you are orphaned and you're under six months of age, you usually only have like a four percent chance of survival. Um, so you they really need mom during this time period, and and their survival totally depends on whether or not mom is around to help them through. Yeah. So tell sense. me about um, this animal is revered in certain cultures, and I think if I remember correctly, in in Mexico. They have the cougar head with the beads on it, and uh, I'm not sure which part of Mexico, uh, Oaxaca or someplace like that. So are you familiar with cougar folklore or cougar cultural folklore. implications? <laughs> yeah. they. So again, it's kind of similar to how 
you know, they have this huge range. And so a lot of different cultures have been able to interact with them. Um, there's definitely examples of from the southwestern United States of, of um, you know, in the last thousand or two thousand years, indigenous groups interacting with mountain lions and revering them as this, you know, stealthy and and amazing predator. Um, there's lots of, you know, depictions on in cave paintings of mountain lions. Um, I would actually encourage folks to read. There, we have a, a great volunteer with Mountain Lion Foundation who publishes a blog. and He's an archaeologist, and he did a huge summary of the archaeology of, of America's lion. And um, just as a few anecdotes, <clears throat> Lake Erie is named after, uh, I think, an Iroquois word for mountain lion. Um, there are, you know, Kayak is is a there's an indigenous group, um, I believe it's the Zuni people in the southwest, but um, they had a, a society called Kayak, which is the Cougar Society, and it was kind of this hunter warrior society uh, modeled after mountain lions. Um, so hunting of mountain lions during those times was probably very low. There was some limited hunting of mountain lions um, back in, in indigenous history. But um, they, a lot of different groups reference mountain lions and, and clearly had some sort of representation or interpretation of them in their culture. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just reading something on Wikipedia. It says the, Algonqu the Algonquins and the Ojibwe believe that the cougar lived in the underworld and was wicked, whereas the, it was a sacred animal amongst the Cherokee. So yeah. different strokes right. for different every, folks. Yeah, every exactly. tribe is going to have a yeah. different meaning for every animal. Um, Wow. So then um, with the cubs and whatnot, uh, so you said around 12 months, 18 months, they leave their mom. They're like, okay, bye. Exactly. Yep. So that's, that's usually when they disperse and then they will set off and, and, you know, try to look for their own territory until either there's enough prey or there's, you know, I should say, and there's no mountain lions around in that territory as well. Um, so, yeah, so they spend, you know, they spend quite a long time with mom before they do that. And then when they are looking for their territory, it's a challenging time. That's also, if you're going to die at any point in your life as a mountain lion, that's also when you, um, you're most at risk. So, um, oh, okay. you know, part of that is also because you'll come into conflict with other mountain lions um, because you don't know to stay out of urban areas yet unless, you know, if your mom taught you that. And so get hit by a car uh, but yeah that time of dispersal is is a pretty um, difficult time for mountain lions and that's why most conflict occurs during those times too is because they occasionally get desperate uh, absolutely so then how what's their average like foot size because i've I mean i think we've all seen a picture of like a cougar track and it's just it's a, like almost shockingly huge it's like why is your foot so big yeah so know that. it's usually anywhere like a, for a full grown it can be three and a half to four and a half inches um, and there's an interesting phenomenon, which you also see with, with most, um, North American cats and especially lynx where the paw print aspect of their footprint, um, is different from where the fur outline is. And so oh. they have all this fur that goes around the actual pads. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I've been out looking in snow for their tracks before, and you'll see, you'll see this kind of wide circle. And then within right. that, you see the actual paw prints. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, yeah. Maybe that's why it looks like super big because usually that's other areas usually included. Okay. Yeah. And then you can you can also sort of tell it's their track because the uh, heel pad looks like an M for mountain lion. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's one way to tell. And, and um, unlike canines, you can draw an X, a wide X through their toes without hitting anything. Um, with canines, you can't do that. So there's a few tricks. If you're ever curious, you can look them up. But um, they have they have a few tricks for figuring out if it's a mountain lion or not. No kidding. So I heard, actually, ironically enough, from another podcast that was actually specifically about animal attacks that um, the more more times than not, when there is an attack on a human and when it's not fatal, it's because it's an inexperienced mountain lion or it's you know one that was kept as a pet, and then you know people realize, oh shit, this is a wild animal, I can't control this, and then they you know like okay, goodbye, get out of my house. Right. Is that usually the case? That is it usually you know it's like some some a former pet, and I'm using we're using the term pet very loosely here, but yeah, you know I'm I'm not super familiar with the situation for mountain lions in captivity. Um, like I mentioned, the, the most we know about kind of the encounters and sightings and attacks is that A, it's usually with younger mountain lions, and B, it's usually when people have done something to um, make that incident more likely. Um, so that might be right. a good, good chance to talk about this. So there's a lot of things that you can do to reduce the likelihood of an encounter. Um, if yes. you're out and about in the world, you know, you're on the trail, you're biking, it's, th- it's things like staying alert, avoiding those dusk and dawn hours, going out with multiple people, um, you know, not wearing your headphones because that makes it really hard to stay alert. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of, you know, being just at home and trying to prevent mountain lions from coming through your yard, um, there's a lot you can do there too. So reducing cover, because we talked about the fact that mountain lions like to hide, so if you're trimming right. bushes and keeping, you know, reducing those hiding places, that's one way. Another is reducing pet food and other food sources that might attract in wildlife that then mountain lions are going to be looking for or want to potentially eat. Um, right. And so usually when you're taking these different steps, you're very, very, very unlikely to, to come into contact with a mountain lion. Um, but if you do come into contact with a mountain lion, um, there's kind of, there's kind of two ways to think about it. First is, am I even in danger in the first place? And oh, I like I need at least yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like to to mention that because some people think, oh, the second I've seen a mountain lion, I need to be worried. And right. a lot of sightings are actually from a distance. Um, mm-hmm. They might be a mountain lion that has, um, you know, sort of crossed the trail in front of you and continued on its way, and then people are like, oh, right. is it doubling back to like attack me? And you can tell from mountain lion body language whether or not they're aggressive or non-aggressive. Just like with a cat, you see those hunched shoulders, you see the tail twitching, you know, there's these signs that can kind of show you. So if they are exhibiting some of those signs, then you've probably heard these kind of steps before, but you want to be as big as you possibly can um, because that shows them you are going to be a challenge to take down, that you're not, you know, an easy prey source. You want to maintain eye contact um, because that is going to, again, show them you're not being stalked. You, They want to stalk you. They want to. Right. You know, yeah. It's like your cover's blown. I mean, I see you. Exactly. So, yep. you know. Mm. And then being loud, calling for help, you know, bringing other people, that's going to help. Um, and then if you are attacked, fight back. Um, and there are oh. documented cases. Um, in fact, a recent one in Colorado where someone was attacked and they, they actually fought off the mountain lion. Um, in fact, it was a younger mountain lion, as is often the case, and I believe they actually ended up killing the mountain lion. Um, so fight back. It is, it is definitely in your interest to not like, you know, huddle up and do this because that just, you know, 
makes you more vulnerable, then you definitely want to fight back. Yeah, I Is know, it more I males or females that do the attacking? Generally, it's more males um, because males were, are going to usually disperse further to find their own territory since they have all those requirements to not come into contact and conflict with other males. So they're the ones who are wandering off far and, and tend to get in trouble. Yeah, I don't know if swinging on a mountain lion would be like my first thought. I mean, hope you know uh, the rare point one percent chance I'm ever in that situation. Uh, yeah, throwing a punch would not be my first thought, but that that makes that's good to know. Good, we'll just store that one away for things we hope yeah, we never have to use. Case, exactly. Did you see that video? I think from like 2020. I think it was a guy in Utah. He was out for his run, and he came up on a mountain lion, and she like walked him back up the trail, like probably like at least a mile. Um, yeah how was is that probably because she had her babies there because she i mean she was definitely like threatening him but i mean she had plenty of time to just lunge at him and you know be done with him but right was that the right move to just keep retreating and you know keep watching it and just keep retreating and be like okay i'm not going this way yes yeah so that's a, it's, there's so much to be learned from that encounter and i know it blew up in the media um right. so that became like international news for a while there and yeah, it happens, you know, about 50 miles from where I live here in Salt Lake. Oh, so very populated area. Uh, basically, a the guy came across kittens. And oh, before he could really yeah. realize, oh, this is, a, this is, you know, a couple of kittens and I should get out of here. Um, the mom saw him and she started coming towards him. And he did do everything right. He, he tried to maintain big. He kept eye contact. He backed away slowly. And she did pursue him, and that's another kind of interesting thing, is she did several false charges. So it, yeah. was, it was very clear from her behavior that she wanted to scare him away. Um, right. She was not interested in eating or attacking him. She wanted him to know, you need to keep moving backwards. And right. so you'll see her her run and then stop all of a sudden. Run right, and stop. yeah. And yeah, so, absolutely. so that was that was a pretty good sign that she was she was interested in just scaring the hell out of him. Um, so that he right, I'm sure it worked. <laughs> the one thing, the other interesting thing that I think everyone should take away from that encounter is that you should generally not film any encounters. And I know that's super tempting because it's rare to be in an encounter with a mountain lion. But there's two right. reasons why you don't want to do that. First of all, if you are holding up a camera and you're trying to get a shot of something you are not able to be as big as you possibly can. You're not able to right. maintain eye contact as well. You're distracted, which means you're not as right. alert and doing what you should be to get out of the situation. So it's, it's right. putting you in danger. That's number one. Number two, mm -hmm. look at what happened with that video. It got posted online. And regardless of the fact that it was a very normal behavior for the mountain lion to be exhibiting. Right. And, of course, and like the any animal, did, if you're around its babies, right? I mean, and mm -hmm. and the fact that the guy did almost everything right, it instead got turned into this thing by the media of this is a reason why we need to be scared of mountain lions. Oh, they are compromising gosh. our safety. Are there too many of them out there? And unfortunately, we're all human, and we like to kind of go to the big reaction. We like the drama, right? Right. The dramatic sort of take on things. So by posting those videos, you're also endangering mountain lions. Um, so we, we like to say the only good use of your phone during an encounter is as a projectile. You can chuck it at the mountain lion. Um, but that's it. No, no filming. So I know that's tempting. If I saw a mountain lion, of course I'd be tempted to film it too. Um, but, you know, I would say if you're in a situation where it's clearly non-aggressive, it's not interested in you whatsoever, it's at a distance, snap a picture. But if it's 
in any way an actual encounter, you know, keep the phone away and do what's best for your safety and the outline safety. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then have you um, ever seen any out in the wild in your research or fields research? Yes, with a big caveat. Um, I have not bumped into one or anything like that, but I, I do a lot of uh, trail camera work. And so I, oh, I go out okay. and um, I have, I'm not that good at, at mountain lion tracking, but I have a colleague who is fantastic at it. And so she's helped me find their sign and then figure out how to place cameras. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of mountain lions, even in my area here in Utah, uh, but never are, in the wild. Are you GPS tracking any mountain lions? No. So we, we're mostly an advocacy and education organization. We don't really engage in research ourselves, but we do support a lot of researchers um, insofar as, you know, promoting research, talking about research, sharing information with the public, um, and working with state wildlife agencies, which do a lot of GPS collaring. So there's a study right now in Utah where they're collaring mountain lions, um, and I have colleagues who are working very closely with them to, to sort of help them even go out to a kill site where they've just identified a deer has died and install trail cameras. And eventually sometimes if a mountain lion comes back, then we get hounds, they track it down, they tree it, they, you know, tranquilize it and put collars on it. Uh, so I haven't mm. had to, gotten to be a part of that research, but I have people I work with who have. All right. So tell us more about this screaming lady misnomer. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, again, the, the, thing you always hear is it's one, even one of the names of mountain lions is mountain screamer. Um, there it is. <laughs> and, and again, the the issue there is that the evidence shows, oftentimes you'll say a video will be titled footage of a mountain lion screaming. But really right. it's and it's just, just black. It's just black and you hear a scream in the distance. And right. we do have footage of them caterwauling, which is a very different sound. Again, I, I can't do it, but please look it up. Um, there's lots of great videos of it, and it's it's not a scream. And we know that there are animals that do make a sound that sounds a lot like screaming. Uh, barn owls and foxes are, are two such animals. Yeah, they um, make crazy noises, that's for sure. Yeah, so not a, not a screamer, contrary to popular belief. Okay, okay, very cool. Thank you. And then I just one last thing before we go here. Uh, how can we how can we and our listeners help um, Mountain Lion Foundation, or what can we do, and how can we help? protect mountain lions. Yeah. So there are tons of threats that mountain lions face. Um, you know, we're constantly working on, on reforming hunting management. Um, climate change has a huge impact in terms of drought and wildfire. Roads is a huge one in California, especially where yeah. right now they're trying to build a wildlife crossing in the Santa Monica Mountains because they're incredibly genetically isolated subpopulations because of these huge interstates. So anyways, there's lots of things to get involved with and help. Um, I would recommend going to mountainlionfoundation.org and, or sorry, mountainlion.org. And uh, you can go to our join us page and sign up, tell us what state you're in. And we will actually send out alerts that are very specific and specialized to your area um, so that oh, you can neat. figure out how to get involved. Because if you live in the Western United States, we all live in mountain lion territory. And so, sure. you know, there's local problems that you can get involved with that are going to help your local mountain lion. So we would encourage folks to just sign up and, and learn more. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And now I'm going to, I'm going to go sign up as soon as we wrap up here. Thank you for Sweet. that. That's really neat. So then one last thing here. And of course I just forgot it. Crap. Um, are there any uh, albino yeah. mountain lions? Have you ever heard of that? Uh, is there such a thing? Yeah, I think there are some documented cases of albinism in Brazil. 
Um, there's been some pumas down there that, that were. Wow. Um, so yeah, check it out. There's some great pictures online of that. Um, also, while you're thinking about South American mountain lions, there was just last year a picture of a mountain lion um, on an iceberg in the middle of a lake. Um, oh. They think it swam out there kind of looking for prey or something, but basically this yeah. cool boat was going through the lake and it was somewhere in Patagonia and there's a picture of one on an iceberg. So they are found just about everywhere and that's part of what makes them so cool. Oh yeah. Really quick here. The whole hunting thing. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, ethically, you know, you have to have a tag and whatnot, but, um, are, are, are the game, and I know it depends on state and County are game wardens really on top of that. And is there, what's, I hate to say it. What is the mountain lion hunting season in most States, which is gross, but you know, no, it's, yeah. I mean, hunting is part of, um, our modern mountain lion management in most states, obviously we're working to reduce or eliminate hunting because there's pretty good evidence they don't need to be hunted. Um, right. We can get into a whole conversation about kind of how and why we manage wildlife as sort of a hunting opportunity and not always as a opportunity for all users of wildlife or the wildlife right. themselves. That's a whole other conversation. What I will say is that hunting varies widely between states in terms of how many you can kill, uh, the time of year, the method of pursuit. So most mountain lions are killed by being pursued with hounds until they are exhausted and chased up a tree and then shot. Um, so it, it very seems kind of like cheating. Seems kind of like mm. there's a lot of there's a lot of implications in terms of ethics. On the other hand, houndsmen and 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 hounds are why we know so much today about mountain lions, at least in part because we are able to track them down and tranquilize them, GPS collars on them. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, a whole conversation about ethics and uh, science behind hunting management. Um, but I will right. say it varies a ton between states. And so, again, I'd encourage folks to sign up and, and figure out what your local hunting management issues are in your state. Um, in Utah, right now, we have over half the units in the state are open to unlimited mountain lion hunting. Oh, um, no. And that comes out of this narrative of deer, is decline, deer populations are declining. Therefore, we need to kill more mountain lions. We know that... When have deer populations ever declined, first of all? I mean, come on. With how many accidents no. there are and how they're they're just hanging out in people's front yard, I find that hard to believe. There's a lot there, <laughs> right? So that it's, a, it's an interesting conversation. And I, I hope folks get involved in it because it, it has huge implications for our wildlife and even us. Like you said, deer vehicle collisions, major problem in the United States. So Here, yeah. Here's the thing. When we disrupt the balance of nature... It it has uh, a, what do they call that? Un, Butterfly effect. Unintended consequences. Let me just say that. Anytime you're messing around with nature, it's it's not good. There, you know, there's a natural uh, checks and balances in nature, and uh, otherwise, one species becomes overwhelming to the environment and creates other havoc. So, uh, the thing of it is that you would think that. Uh, Department of Natural Resources or whatever the fish and game would do a better job of managing based on the mountain lion population uh, to maintain it. I'm, yeah, but look, they, those numbers get overinflated. I mean, look what they're doing with the kangaroos I don't know how they have a, they how do they do a census. The... That's, that's the thing. How do you do a census? Yeah. Yeah, it, animals that don't want to be found for the uh, most part. <laughs> it's incredibly challenging to to measure the population and learn about such an elusive species. Mountain lions are yeah. one of the hardest population or 
wildlife species out there to to track and to learn about. Um, and I to give credit where credit's due, wildlife agencies are heavily involved in research to better understand mountain lions. There's a whole conference about it that's happening this week that um, definitely demonstrates that. Um, but it doesn't mean that those agencies aren't are, are, are immune to criticism, and there certainly are things that need to be changed, and it needs to be an ongoing process. So all I would say is is that you know it varies a ton from state to state, and in most cases we are working to reduce mountain lion hunting levels. Um, and you know there's a lot of literature on this topic too, and so I, I would encourage folks to kind of dive in and learn about it because um, a whole other thing. I'll just briefly mention this. I know we're at time, but um, oh no, that's okay. No, no, we love this. Okay, because hunting hunting can exacerbate some of those conflicts that we talked about. When you're yeah. consistently removing established adult mountain lions, you're vacating that territory and opening it up for those younger dispersing males to be moving in. And those are the mountain lions that come into conflict with people more. Um, there was a study done out of California um, just about a year ago where they demonstrated that one of the more likely or one of the biggest factors that leads to mountain lions depredating on livestock is if you killed mountain lions in that area the previous year. Um, so, so in some ways, what you're saying we, is I'm better off with an old cougar. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're better <laughs> off with an old cougar. That's a great way of putting it. And All right. I'm going to go check out my old cougar right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. No, that's it. That's per exactly it. We want to try Logan. to get that around. So. Thank you so much for your uh, education. Your time us. and knowledge. Yeah, we're and, gonna have to have you back on the show because yeah, this is because um, we tackle some of these issues too. Like we've we've touched on like trophy hunting, and we're not obviously a fan of that. It's like why don't you just donate the money instead of going to kill something? But I mean, that's kind of our. Now, if you have to is, hunt for survival, that's one that's, thing. If no you're one's hunting saying, for no a sport, one's saying you're not. Okay, yeah. we're talking about those people like that spend fifty thousand dollars to go to Africa to go shoot a, a leopard or an elephant that's in a game preserve, and it's like yeah, you that, didn't even that, hunt it. Supposedly, hopefully, that money is going for conservation purposes. Okay, but why don't you just donate it? Why do you have to go kill something? Well, okay. Anyway, See, that's a different you guys, topic. You guys Logan. are very you, clearly you're in tune with some of these big issues. So I would love to come back yeah. um, and thank Absolutely. you for, for the excellent questions. Thank you for thank allowing you for your us time to, and your uh, knowledge. But yeah, we're definitely gonna have to have you back on for when we yeah. do more of a ethics episode. All right. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so Logan. much, Logan. Talk to you again. All righty. Well, Otto, do you approve of this week's episode? <laughs>